Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas history podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise, and I am glad that you decided to join me today as we journey through Texas history. A lot has happened since our last episode. The last episode was an interview with professional historian Dr. Jody Edward Ginn, and it went very well. We had a lot of great feedback about that episode. We're going to be doing some more interviews in the future, and I hope that you'll let me know uh, who you'd like to hear from. Um, I thought I got a lot of feedback about how interesting it was to hear a professional talk about how pros approach history, and it certainly was interesting to learn from Dr. Yen. I hope that the audio experiment that was that interview met your ears okay. I'm always looking for feedback on the audio, if it's loud enough, if it's clear enough. And I hope you'll provide that either on the website at wiseabouttexas.com or email me at host at wiseabouttexas. Well, today's episode I entitled The Greer County Land Grab and left that question mark in there on purpose. Now, I don't want this episode to start a war with Oklahoma or anything, uh, but it is an interesting story of a boundary dispute that goes all the way back to before the Republic of Texas. And I want to say a special thanks to my good friend and colleague, Judge Mark Davidson. Judge Davidson is a great Texas historian. And he originally told me this story and provided it as an idea for the podcast. And I think it's a great idea. So we're going to talk about this story. And there's really three parts. One part goes back to 1819. One part uh, talks about the organization of a county in Texas and how that happened in the 1800s. And one part is litigation. So let's go back to 1819 and get wise about Texas. Now, the first thing we need to do is talk a little bit about the Louisiana Purchase. Now, you'll remember that back in 1803, we paid, the United States paid about $15 million for what was then called the Louisiana Territory. The Louisiana Territory consisted of part of the present state of Louisiana, but it ran north all the way into Canada and considerably west. Now, Thomas Jefferson was the president at this time. And the Louisiana Purchase was fairly controversial. He wanted to do it uh, to expand the territory of the United States, but many in the United States alleged that it was illegal for him to expand that territory because the Constitution didn't expressly provide for the expansion of the United States through the acquisition of territory. Now think about that for a second, that many in the country realized or felt that because it was not provided for in the Constitution, that the federal government was not, in fact, allowed to do it. So let that digest for a minute. Uh, But Jefferson went forward. He thought that uh, his powers granted by the Constitution were enough to allow him to acquire that territory. So the Louisiana Purchase was consummated on July 4th of 1803. But here's the thing. They didn't really know the western boundary of Louisiana. So it was necessary to immediately start exploring the territory, which was done. Jefferson commissioned several expeditions to go west and try to determine the western edge of this newly purchased Louisiana territory. There were a couple of expeditions that we need to talk about. The first was the Red River Expedition itself. It was called the Red River Expedition. This occurred in 1806. President Jefferson sent the Red River Expedition, to attempt to find a trading route to Santa Fe. Now, the Spanish intercepted this expedition around what is present-day New Boston, Texas. 
Now, New Boston, Texas is in Bowie County, which is in the far northeast corner of the state of Texas. So they barely got into Texas territory at all, and that would later prove to be a problem in connection with our story. Another expedition was led by Zebulon Pike, the famous explorer, and he headed into Spanish territory ostensibly to explore the Arkansas River and the Red River. But he ended up on the Rio Grande and was promptly arrested by the Spanish authorities. He was marched into New Spain and then paroled back to Texas through the United States. And in his recollection of the expedition, he recalled a Spanish officer telling him that the Red River was sometimes navigable in Santa Fe. So I'm guessing that Pike reported that the headwaters of the Red River were in Santa Fe because that ended up being the common belief. But the important part of those two expeditions for our purposes is that neither one of those expeditions mapped the Red River as it actually flows through the state of Texas. Well, why does that matter? Because in 1819, we're going to fast forward a little bit, it became necessary to finally settle the boundary between the Louisiana Territory and the and New Spain. Florida, which still belonged to the Spanish at this point, was becoming a little bit of a pain, and Spain was certainly concerned about Texas and the expansion of the United States to the West. So the United States Secretary of State John Quincy Adams and the Spanish Foreign Minister Luis de Onís y González Vara, they sat down to negotiate a treaty and get these boundaries decided. The basic deal that they came up with was that Spain would cede Florida to the United States, which it did, and that we would define the boundary fully and finally between the United States and New Spain to the west. The Spanish wanted the Mississippi River to be the boundary. We wanted the Rocky Mountains to be the boundary. Well, that's quite a distance, as you know. But the deal was finally cut that defined the boundary as running from the mouth of the Sabine River north to 32 degrees latitude, and that is following the course of the Sabine River north to 32 degrees latitude. Then the boundary would go straight north or due north to the Red River. Then the boundary would follow the Red River west to the 100th meridian of longitude, so 100 degrees longitude, and then the boundary would go due north to the Arkansas River, and then it would follow the Arkansas River west to the headwaters of the Arkansas. Now, of course, I dug up an actual copy of the treaties, and I want to read it to you just a very small portion because this language is important. So we talked about it uh, going following the course of the Red River to 100 degrees longitude, and the treaty says, quote, crossing the said Red River and running thence by a line due north to the River Arkansas, thence following the course of the southern bank of the Arkansas to its source, etc., etc. It's important because that boundary contemplated the crossing of the Red River on that due north line. Now let me read you another very important sentence out of this treaty. After it describes where that boundary will be, it says the following, quote, The whole being as laid down in Mellish's map of the United States, published at Philadelphia, improved to the 1st of January, 1818, close quote. So to sort of paraphrase that, 
they described how the boundary would look and where it would uh, turn. And then they said all of this as described in the Mellish map of 18. So let's say a word about the Mellish map of, nine, of 1818. John Mellish was a Scotsman who had come to the U.S. and lived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He traveled extensively around the U.S. and published several maps and actually started a map printing company, which I think was the first one in the U.S. He published first in 1816 a map of the U.S. and contiguous countries. And um, Thomas Jefferson, the president, approved that map and wrote him a very nice letter complimenting him on it. He updated that map on January 1st, 1818, which was the map that the Adams-Onis Treaty referred to. Now, what was important about these maps was that it showed the territory of the United States and the contiguous country's possessions all the way to the Pacific Ocean. So Mellish had consolidated the findings of several expeditions and painted a picture, a prospective picture, of course, of how the United States might expand to the West. And, and many of the things written about Mellish and his map talk about his map planning the idea of manifest destiny, that that is, that it was the United States' destiny to expand all the way to the Pacific. And some writings even give Mellish credit for sort of inventing that idea of Western expansion in the American mind, although America had already been expanding West. But when you could see it on a map, it was just very, very different. Well, one of the things that Mellish's map showed was the Red River and the 100th meridian of longitude. But remember what I mentioned earlier. No expedition post-Louisiana Purchase had actually been out there. So Mellish drew it as he thought it would look, but no one had actually seen it. And that becomes very important. So as of the Adams-Onis Treaty, we've got the treaty drafters looking at a Mellish map, deciding that the border between the United States and New Spain should run up the Sabine to the red, follow the course of the red to 100 degrees longitude, then shoot due north to the Arkansas River. But of course, no one had been there. Then in, then in 1821, Mexico fights Spain for independence and wins. The treaty was ratified by the United States in two days. It took a few years for Mexico to ratify it, but was, it was eventually ratified. So now it's the border between the United States and Mexico. Now, after the Mexican Revolution of 1821, of course, we had the Texas Revolution in 1836. Texas and the United States struck a deal that essentially ratified the Adams-Onis Treaty boundaries in 1837. Then we had 1845, where we had the joint resolution of Congress admitting Texas to the Union, which we discussed in a prior episode of Wise About Texas. And that joint resolution admitted Texas to the Union as a state with uh, the territory belonging to the Republic of Texas, now belonging to the state of Texas. So the Adams-Onis Treaty had survived all the way through statehood. Then came the Compromise of 1850. Now, we won't go into too deep a detail about the Compromise of 1850, but as a part of it related directly to Texas. And the uh, Texas and the United States agreed that the Texas boundary would be that same 100-degree longitude, but instead of running all the way to the Arkansas River, it would stop at uh, the latitude that was 36 degrees 30 minutes. 
and then it would go due west. And so that gave uh, the corner to the panhandle that now exists today. But here's the thing. No one had ever seen that intersection. They hadn't surveyed it. So you've got to believe that they were still thinking about Mellish's map of 1818. Uh, and they may have been and they may not have been, but they certainly didn't have any other map or any other survey. So in 1852, uh, the United States War Department ordered an expedition, and the expedition was led by Randolph Marcy. He was a captain. And they decided to explore to the headwaters of the Red River and to the headwaters of the Canadian River, which, of course, is north of the Red in North Texas. And here's where it starts to get a little murky, because then-Captain George McClellan was making the astronomical observations, which is how they did surveys in those days, and he made a report, and the astronomical observations, which would have been the survey of the actual 100th meridian of longitude, showed that the 100th meridian intersected the Red River, and remember that's the point where it was supposed to turn north under the Adams-O'Neill Treaty. It showed the 100th meridian intersecting the Red River at the mouth of the North Fork of the Red River. All right, so let's take a minute, and let me describe before we get too deep into talking about forks of the river and such, a little bit about how this Red River lays out in the present day. The Red River goes west, and then it forks into the North Fork and the Prairie Dog Town Fork. So when the Marcy Report was referring to the Prairie Dog Town River, he was talking about what we now call the Prairie Dog Town Fork of the Red River. And then the McClellan Astronomical Observations from the mouth of the North Fork of the Red River, it's referring to what is the second Fork of the Red. So we had the, and of course the North Fork, appropriately named, runs to the north. So what happens is between the point where the North Fork enters the Red River and what turned out to be uh, the actual 100th meridian of longitude, there's a chunk of land there between the North Fork and the Prairie Dog Town Fork that was thought to be part of Texas. And we see that first hint of confusion in that 1852 report. Here's what they didn't realize because no one had been there yet. They didn't realize that the Red River forked. They thought it was just one river with the headwaters in Santa Fe. And we had yet another problem. There was a treaty in 1855 between the United States and the Choctaw and the Chickasaw nations, Indian nations, that certain land between the Red and the Canadian rivers west to the 100th meridian should be part of the Chickasaw and Choctaw nations. Now here we're going to get into the state of Oklahoma discussion because before Oklahoma was a state in the 1900s, it was referred to as Indian Territory. And you know from past episodes of Wise About Texas that many of the Indian tribes in, ended up settled on reservations in Oklahoma. And we will certainly over the course of this podcast cover many of those tribes and much of the situation in Oklahoma. But for our purposes, they were starting to divvy up those Indian lands in what is now the state of Oklahoma. And while doing so, in connection with that 1855 treaty, the United States commissioned two surveyors, A.H. Jones and H.M.C. Brown. And they commissioned them 
to mark the line of the 100th meridian of longitude from the what was described as the north bank of the main Red River to the north boundary of the Creek and Seminole Territory so that they could allocate to the Choctaws and the Chickasaws their portion. They did this in 1859. The astronomer on the survey was named Daniel Major, and they ran a line uh, on what they thought was the 100th meridian for 109 miles, and they marked, they had mileposts on, on their survey. At the same time that the Jones and Brown survey was going on, there was another survey in connection with the Indian Territories that was being commissioned by the U.S. Congress, and the governor of Texas asked that they start on the Red River because everyone by this point was realizing that there was something amiss with the border of Texas. But the uh, cabinet secretary, the Secretary of the Interior for the United States, thought that the Jones and Brown survey was already going on and that the congressional survey would start at the Rio Grande. However, this survey eventually got to the eastern boundary of Texas to the line that Jones and Brown had uh, already formed or already marked, and the Clark survey fixed the 100th meridian about 1,700 feet west of the Jones and Brown line. So, as you can see, we've got a controversy brewing. These lines were not appearing in the same place, so we now had two or three different locations for different portions of the 100th degree of longitude. Well, the uh, governor of Texas in 1860 was Sam Houston, and he decided that we would claim the North Fork of the Red River as the true boundary line. Now, by now, hopefully you've been to the website and you've looked at the map, and you understand that uh, by doing so, Sam Houston was going to claim, as all Texans wanted to at the time, that the North Fork of the Red River was the actual main part of the Red River. So Houston gave his instructions, and the state erected a monument on the north bank of the North Fork of the Red River that was 15 feet in diameter and 7 feet high, and declared that as the southwest corner of what was then called Indian Territory um, and claimed that small portion of land as part of Texas. Then Texas took other actions to claim that portion of the land. In 1860, the Texas legislature created Greer County, and the boundary of Greer County generally was the territory lying east of the 100th meridian of longitude between the north and the prairie dog town fork of the Red River. Supposedly going by the old axiom that possession is nine-tenths of the law, Texas certainly was exercising possession and starting to at least purport to exercise legal authority. The state went on to appropriate some of the unsettled land in Greer County for uh, public school land and some for the payment of state debt. It also granted patents to Greer County, Texas for land in other counties that Greer County could then sell or lease and use the money for the Greer County public schools. That land was in some in Hamilton, some in Wheeler County. The state also created judicial districts in the area, placing Greer County in a couple of different judicial districts 
uh, through several years. Then the federal government did something that was interesting. In 1879, they created, the federal government, the United States government, created the Northern Judicial District of Texas, and they put 110 Texas counties into that federal judicial district, including Greer County, Texas. We're now into the 1880s, and cattle are beginning to graze in Greer County, tens of thousands of head. People are also beginning to settle in Greer County under the authority and on lands patented to them or sold to them or leased to them by the state of Texas. In the 1880s, nervous enough was the Texas legislature to ask to pass an act calling on a joint boundary survey to, again, purportedly fully and finally locate the 100th meridian of longitude. The United States government, instead of saying yes or no, simply declared that the prairie dog town fork of the Red River would be the boundary. The federal government had one other problem, and that was the Indian nations. The Indians had their own claims on Greer County. Greer County was part of some great hunting grounds for the Plains tribes. There were some treaties uh, involving the Choctaws and Chickasaws I mentioned earlier, but also other Plains tribes that caused a little bit of controversy with Greer County, which was going to be a headache for the United States government. So you, they knew that in the background they had to determine this border and settle this question. The Texas uh, governor continued to plead with the federal government to settle the question. The commissioner of Indian Affairs, a gentleman named Hiram Price, was advocating that the military go in and evict the settlers from Greer County. Even the maps of the time were confusing when you looked at them. So finally in 1885, there was an act passed that authorized the president, who was then Grover Cleveland, to appoint some commissioners, and Texas would appoint some commissioners, and we would finally get this question settled. So commissioners were appointed, and they met in 1886, in February of 1886, and they began to examine all of the evidence in conjunction with the 100th degree of longitude. And remember, we're still going back to the Adams-O'Neill Treaty. That is still the legal document that created that boundary. So they uh, examined the evidence, and you can guess what the result was. The U.S. Commissioner said that Greer County was in Oklahoma or in Indian Territory, and the Texas Commissioner said, no, it's not. It's in Texas. And that's as far as they got. But Texans, being people of enterprise, as we know, went ahead and kept acting like Greer County was in Texas and taking steps to uh, exercise that nine-tenths of the law of possession. They met in 1886 at the town of Mobitai in Wheeler County, and they organized Greer County. Now, Greer County had been created, but it had not been organized. And so in 1886, they organized it. The town of Mangum was determined to be the county seat, and they did that one act, which will for sure secure your status as a county. They built a jail. Now, here's something interesting. The United States Post Office also created post offices in response to citizens' request, and they established one post office at a town called Fraser, which was in Greer County, and the, post, the United States Postal Service listed the post office as being, quote, late in Greer County, Texas, close quote. Then they established other post offices and, of course, discovering uh, the controversy that their first statement might have 
led to call uh, name these post offices as being an unassigned land of Indian Territory. The Texas legislature then countered by saying, guess what, we're going to sell land in Greer County, Texas. And hearing about this, President Cleveland issued a proclamation saying that the South Fork of the Red River was the boundary, Greer County was not in Texas, and warned everyone that whether you are claiming to act as an officer of Greer County or under whatever authority you purported to act, uh, you better not exercise any authority or try to sell that land. The Texas legislature's next move was to pass an act unilaterally calling for arbitration, that a Texas state board of arbitration would be formed, and that board of three people uh, would decide the question. And the act provided that the president of the United States could appoint one person, and the governor of Texas could appoint the other person, and the third person would be the chief justice of one of the states other than Texas uh, to be agreed upon by President Cleveland and the governor of Texas. Well, the United States Congress uh, did not pass legislation to similar effect, and the United States government just folded its arms and said, nope, the South Fork or the Prairie Dog Town Fork of the Red River is the boundary. Then the United States Congress made its final move. It ordered the Attorney General to file a lawsuit to finally determine whether Greer County was part of the Indian Territory or part of Texas. Now, interestingly, and I won't go too deep into the procedural details, but it is the Supreme Court of the United States that has what is called original jurisdiction of these kind of cases. So instead of filing a lawsuit like you normally would in a trial court in Texas, for example, you'd file a lawsuit in a county court or a district court, the lawsuit gets filed directly in the United States Supreme Court, which is an unusual and significant procedure. So the United States sued Texas. Texas hired an expert witness, a guy named Henry Pritchett. He was the director of the Astronomical Observatory at Washington University in St. Louis, and they told him to go out there and uh, shoot the most accurate 100 degree of longitude that he could. And he located the 100th meridian almost 3,800 feet east of the monument that was established by that early expedition by Major which was the same monument that Jones and Brown used for their initial line. So almost 4,000 feet to the east of the location that they knew already was too far east. So that was, of course, a very good result for Texas uh, from its own expert witness. Well, Texas made essentially two arguments. The first is, look, the Adams-O'Neill Treaty said the Mellish map. We ought to use the Mellish map. That's what everyone meant, and if the Mellish map is wrong, so be it. It ought to be the document in effect, because that's what was negotiated in the treaty. And the second argument is, even if you don't buy that, and you say, court, that it is the true 100th meridian of longitude, then the boundary ought to be the North Fork of the Red River and not the Prairie Dogtown Fork. So Greer County, and under either theory, should remain in Texas. The United States said, no, no. Everyone thought at the time that the Prairie Dogtown Fork of the river was the real Red River and the 100th meridian uh, at the intersection of the Prairie Dogtown Fork ought to be the point, the southwestern point, uh, corner of the Indian Territory. Well, the Supreme Court did not buy Texas's argument, and it referred to the Compromise of 1850, 
which talked about the uh, Red River flowing west to the 100th meridian, focusing on the language, talking about the river flowing west rather than what the court said was, quote, up, close quote, the North Fork. There were a few other minor arguments made, none of which the Supreme Court recognized. And so by an opinion written in 1896, in the case of United States versus the state of Texas, the Supreme Court finally awarded Greer County to the state of Oklahoma. What they did not do, however, was address what would happen with all of the land and the land titles, more importantly, uh, that had been issued by the state of Texas. Well, the Supreme Court sort of punted to Congress on that issue and said certainly Congress can figure out a way to deal with this. Well, everyone did the best they could to transition Greer County, Texas to Greer County, Oklahoma as painlessly as possible and simply transfer titles and make it as easy as it could be on the property owners. They weren't entirely successful, however, um, because there are multiple lawsuits going down through the years, and I'm going to leave the details of lots of those lawsuits out of this podcast because uh, we've had enough legal title talk. But suffice to say, there were multiple lawsuits going well into the 20th century over the disputed boundary between Texas and Oklahoma. Because remember, there were uh, not only land title issues to deal with, there were grazing leases, there was lots of cattle, and of course by the time you got into the 19-teens, 20s, and 30s, you had oil and gas issues. So that litigation continued. One of the biggest issues that they had to deal with was the fact that Greer County had been allocated land by the state of Texas for the benefit of its schools, which I mentioned earlier. This is land that is in other Texas counties that were not subject to a border dispute but that were for the benefit of Greer County. So Greer County was able to sell or lease that land and use the money for its schools. So what happened to those claims? Well, the Supreme Court held that those lands did not belong to Greer County, Oklahoma. So at least they allowed those lands to remain under Texas control. And even at one later point, uh, gave a little bit of Oklahoma land, a very small amount, back to Texas due, once again, to the misdirection of the 100th Meridian. So I'm going to leave it up to you to decide uh, the answer to that question mark on the title of this episode. Was this a Greer County land grab, or was this uh, the right decision regarding the 100th Meridian? I think it's pretty interesting to notice how international treaties were negotiated uh, over boundaries that no one had actually laid eyes on. And of course, as surveying technology got better through the years, over the five, six, seven surveys of the 100th Meridian in the area, uh, the Meridian kept moving. So I don't know if anybody up there around Greer County wants to go out with a GPS and try to locate the 100th Meridian, but if you do, let me know what you find. Now I got one more interesting little tidbit about Greer County, Oklahoma. In 1898, the town of Hollis, Oklahoma was laid out and it was part of the old Greer County. Uh, the town was in Greer County, Oklahoma until 1909 when a new county was created, uh, Harmon County, where uh, the town of Hollis became part of Harmon County. But in 1924, in a town that used to be part of Greer County, Texas, was born one Daryl K. Royal, and the rest is history. He went on to play football for the University of Oklahoma and become, I will allege as an Aggie, the greatest coach in Texas Longhorn football history. So I'll ask you the question, if Greer County had remained a part of Texas, 
Maybe he would have played football for the University of Texas. Just a thought. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. Thanks for being with me today and listening to a little bit of Texas history and some of the early border wars. I hope I was neutral enough for all my Oklahoma listeners. Let me hear from y'all up there in Panhandle and let me know what you think about the Greer County land grab. Also, the show's listenership continues to grow, which I highly appreciate. I hope you will like the Facebook page at Wise About Texas. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas and tell a friend about the show. Once again, thanks for listening. Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas and we'll see you down the road.